Good afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, everyone. I, thank you. I'm not, I'm not going to talk too long because you haven't come to hear me. My name is Giles Torreira. I've put this event, Walking the Light, together. And I just wanted to say a little bit about the week. Uh, we've already kicked the event off this afternoon with Carmen Monroe and Don Warrington. It was fantastic. Those of you who are here know how brilliantly that went and what a great way that was to start the week. Now we've got something that I'm even more excited about because, well, you, as you can see, we are honoured to have on stage one of the greatest writers this country has produced in, in certainly in the last 50 years, definitely one of the brilliant actors that we've produced and one of the great critics we've also produced. So you are in very good hands. I'm going to hand you over. I will just say that um, Thursday is going to be even better. Friday is going to be even better. Sunday is going to be even better. We're going to get everyone together on Sunday to celebrate. So please come back and uh, find out a little bit more about um, theatre in this country in the last 50 years. Uh, and join us on Sunday. Tell people about it. Come back and we'll all have a very good time. So I'm going to hand you over now to Mr. Michael Billington. Thank you. Thank you, Giles. Thank you. <coughs> well, thank you for that lovely introduction. It's a wonderful pleasure to be here on this stage with two men who played a vital part in the establishment of black theatre in Britain. And we're going to focus on the period specifically from 1960 to 1980, that we may, we may stray beyond that, I suspect. Um, but in that time, as you know, Oscar James founded or co-founded Timber Theatre Company in 1972, and in 1978, Mustafa Matura co-founded Black Theatre Cooperative with Charlie Hansen, having built up a strong reputation as a playwright with As Time Goes By, Playmouse, Rum and Coca-Cola. Um, you both did a lot of work after 1980s, but I'd like to focus, if I could, uh, for now, on those early years. Can we go right back to the beginning? Because you both came to London or to England from Trinidad, and I just wondered how difficult it was when you got here to establish some kind of foothold in the British theatre. Were you welcomed with open arms or were doors closed in your face? Oscar, you want to start? What was it like as an actor when you arrived? Um, I was always an actor. I suppose I was born an actor. Uh -huh. um, my mother had six kids. I came from a large family, no father. I had to survive for myself. I got a job on a ship and I had to perform. And when I arrived in England, um, it started. Yes, it was very difficult in the beginning to get work. Any kind of work, you turn up for a job, it doesn't matter what type of job, but then all of a sudden it's gone. Um, I lived through that. I couldn't even get a place to live. Yeah, I'm sure you're all aware of... What year was this when you arrived? Uh, I, I arrived here in 1956. Right, all oh, right. I was a youth. Uh, traveling, I was about 15. Uh, 15? Uh, yeah, 15, 16, something like that. Um, <coughs> but, uh, you know, when at that age you think you know everything, but you don't know anything. <laughs> you, you, you think you know. But again, I, at the age, a uh, young age, I sang on, tele I sang on the radio at home, so I had my claim to fame then. Uh -huh. um, I did gymnastics in clubs, so I was always in show business. Right. So, and I sang in clubs, so it was nothing new to get a... Acting was just another part of my business. But if you came here as a 15-year-old mm, on a 15, ship... 15, 16. 15, yeah. 16. I mean, what were, what were your aspirations when you arrived? I mean, you couldn't have wanted my, to be an actor straight away, could no, you? My main thing was to do refrigeration, air conditioning, to go back to Trinidad. 
<laughs> Refrigeration, <laughs> air conditioning. Yes, yeah. to go because it was hot. Yeah. And in at my country, that's what we can do, and I can make a living, and I can help my family. Right. But then did, I, I... Did could, you do it? Refrigeration, air conditioning? I couldn't even get a job. I couldn't get a look in at the time. Right. I went to classes, and, and after that, you couldn't even get a job, not even as an apprentice. So I had was a switch. So I switched back to singing. I was ducking and diving. <laughs> so I switched to singing and doing little things, and, um, and that's how I, I did the work in men's clubs. And I remember one night I was singing in a club uh, just off Gerard Street, and uh, this guy came in and he said to me, I was singing and telling jokes, and he said, can you act? And I said, what do you think I've been doing there? <laughs> and it turned out to be Peter Glenville, who directed uh, The Comedians, with Richard Burton, Liz yes. Taylor. Yes, yes. And I went and I did that. And I did The Swamp Dwellers by Wally Schroenka. And through that... And that was uh, how it started? That's how my whole thing started off, acting. Through Peter Glenville seeing you in a club singing? Singing. I was singing and doing my thing, and he said, can you act? I said, what do you think I've been doing? <laughs> so it was one of those. Mustafa, what, what, what were the circumstances of your arrival? I mean, when did, you, when did you come to England or London? I came in 1961, one misty morning, a, a foggy morning on a, a floating platform, drifted into Plymouth. <laughs> um, and we got the train, and um, I stayed with a, a, a cousin, for a few weeks, and I got a job as a porter in a hospital, but I was always interested in the arts, so I went to the theater a bit, um, went to see a lot of um, Italian films and French films, and, and was uh, generating an interest in the arts, and I went to Rome as part of this ambitious dream. I went to Rome to try and be an actor because this was uh, the end of Cleopatra and uh, there was a lot of opportunities for people of color in, in Rome at the time and also we were told and I went to Rome. I got a job as a dancer in a, a film, by a Walter Chiari film and when they came to film it, the, the room that was designed for the dance sequence was too small for everyone. And so I volunteered to not to be in the film. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I came back to London. But whilst I was in Rome, I got a job at a theater, Teatro Goldoni, that was hired by some black American actors from Cleopatra, who had been extras in Cleopatra. And they did a production of Langston Hughes' play called Shakespeare in Harlem. And I got a job pulling the, the curtains. And every night I, I stood there in the wings and watching these black Americans. It was a very atmospheric, bluesy kind of play with music, and it was a, a very modern, to me, um, production. And actually, Langston Hughes turned up to see it, and there was a, a, he was well celebrated, uh, duly so. Um, but I thought, watching this, I thought, well, this is West Indian, my life, my childhood, my background in Trinidad, 
this was it, um, but it with an American accent in a way. And I thought I'd, I'd go back to London, get a boring job, and write plays about my background. Because you'd worked on that Langston Hughes yeah. project in Rome. Yeah, that, that was, the, was the trigger. That was the, that was the trigger. That was the trigger for me. I mean, you, I mean you, you said a moment ago, Oscar, that, you know, it wasn't easy. Obviously, it wasn't easy when you started. Peter Glanville comes along, gives you a job in the film. I mean, how difficult was it to get work in the London or British theatre at that time? Having decided acting was the, your prime occupation or your ambition, okay. how, how difficult was it? It was very difficult. Let me put it this way. After that, I went to the City Lit and studied because I wanted to know more about the whole acting thing. Right. And then you started picking up contacts. I started hearing about jobs. And I would go for it, and they'd have this big cattle call. Um, and there were lots of others who were like myself who gave up halfway because they couldn't get a job. You'll get a job now and in the next five years you'll get another job. And you have 20 of us going for the same job and they'll be telling this one they're the best one and that one is the best one. And they're all having arguments about themselves. But um, no, I went to the city late and then I kept on trying different things and going on. And mm. I went to Doreen Cannon's workshop and I started working from there and building up. And then I joined the Royal Shakespeare Company. And that that was in the 60s, 70s? Yes, yeah. yes, in the 60s. With, with the Romans. With the Romans, 1972, 71, 72, Quite, yes. yes. Yeah. That, that's in, so you, you arrived in 56, it's 72 before you get, you know, the kind of classical theatre work you're looking for. And you, Mustafa, um, you arrived in 61, but it's, it's, what, nine years before you get your first play on? Is that right, in London or not? Um... Yes, something like that. I really can't remember the dates at the moment. But I, um, my introduction was uh, smoother than Oscar's um, and less vocal, shall we say. Um, I began writing, but mainly for my own interest and for my friends who were actors and directors at the time not expecting the mainstream or the underground mainstream would be interested in my plays. And it so happened that Ed Berman yes. was doing a season of White Power and Black Power plays at the ICA, directed by Roland Reese. Right. And Horace Ovey told Roland Reese, the grapevine works. Uh, about my plays, I showed them to Roland Reese, and he said, this is exactly what I've been looking for. Boom! And he put them in, and this is how I, it all happened, began for me. At, at the ICA? At the ICA. It was a lunchtime season. They, right. It was quite fashionable at the time to do lunchtime plays. Yeah. And they were timed just right, and it was very nice. That but, was the first time I really felt as an actor doing his play. You were in, um, you were in the very first play? Yes, he yeah, was. Yeah, yes. The one yeah. at the ICA? Yes. Yeah. He was a very heavy character. It was good. What do you I mean, heavy? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Very militant. Oh, yes. yes. Very oh, imposing, very strong and powerful. Yes. I was afraid of him. Yeah. <laughs> I was afraid of me, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. A heavy character. So, I mean, did you always play, quote, heavy characters, characters of weight, power? Authority? No, anything that paid money, I played. <laughs> paid money, right. I can do anything, you name it, and I can do it. 
But you mentioned the Royal Shakespeare Company. I remember those yes. seasons, mm -hmm. actually. The very fine season of the Romans. Great. And you were in all the main... You were in Coriolanus? I was in Coriolanus. Yes. I was in uh, Romeo and Juliet. Just in the crowd, 45th Citizen. Right. I started off as a 45th citizen. Yeah. And I ended up playing Telesophidius opposite Nicole Williamson. So I worked my rep. I was always working, you see. You worked your way through the, through the through ranks, the ranks of, of the through RSC. The ranks yeah. with everyone. Did you have a happy time with the RSC? Oh, the best time of my life, yes. Really? I met wonderful, wonderful people. And they helped me a lot. I remember going to Den Jokes. She was a voice coach. And I was saying to her, look, you know, I got this job, but I can't understand all these words. Can you help me? I, I don't know. And she says, come. All the others come here and think they know it, but they don't. Mm -hmm. and, and she called me and she put me down and she went through the things with me and the sonnets with me. And uh, I ended up, according to John Barton, being one of the top sonnet speakers from going with her. And right. she taught me how to do it. I didn't know anything, but she taught me and John Barton, as you know. So, uh, no, that was the best time in my life I, I, I had there. Did you feel you were... Uh, sort of breaking new ground because at that time it was not usual, was it, no. for black actors to be playing in classical companies? Now it is. It was not then. Did you feel you were? Listen, all my life I've been breaking new grounds. Even uh -huh. to get a room to go in a house where there was no black people, I was breaking grounds. So as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> I was doing that all my life. Right. My life has always been breaking grounds and hoping when, I, like, I was like an ambassador for my country. Yes. I felt that when I do that, the others could follow, and what they do after that is fine. And then it's interesting that you, you two work together, don't you, on... Uh, it was, it was uh, Black Pieces, the first yes. one, yes. Yes. And then as time goes by... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That was my first proper play. As time length. goes by, yes. T tell us about it. Act one, act two, and act three. This was um, first done at the Traverse Theatre. It was through my association with Roland Rees and Michael White, the producer, he produced it and we took it to uh, Traverse Theatre for the festival and then we came down and did it at the Royal Court. And it was a wonderful success. And it was wonderful for me because it had all these black actors who I didn't know existed, and they all came together in, in this production. We were all more or less the same age group. And so it was, there was a wonderful camaraderie among the, the players. That's very interesting, because I, I, I wasn't sure about this, whether there was such a thing as a, quote, Caribbean community in London at that time, in the arts, you know, and that you all were conscious of each other's careers, ambitions, and you know, what you wanted to do together. Well, well, or or wasn't, was it not a community oh, at all? We were, no, I, I, had, I joined later on, but there was, I was really struck by the support each, all these black actors were giving each other. They would tell each other about jobs that were going and, and help each other and tell them about auditions. And so there was a wonderful feeling there. Right. Do you remember that camaraderie? Yes, it was always there. And, um, they, we, all, we all tried to help each other, hence trying to form a black theater right. to have black directors, to black, black cameramen, black everything, because we weren't getting the jobs. We weren't getting anything. Hence, Frank Cousins with the dark and light. 
that he had the theater. So we tried to encourage more black technicians, writers, because we weren't getting the work, we couldn't right. get in. So we tried to form our own, hence the timber as well. That's Tell us about we that. Timber for, is from 1972, isn't it? And that's because, again, it's born out of frustration, is it? Yes. That you're not getting we sufficient get opportunities. Right. So you form your own company. Right. In order to help to get young writers, young black writers, actors, directors, the, the whole lot. Um, we were seeing all the awards going to others and we weren't even getting a look in, so we decided to have our own. And you would find as you go along that I was always involved in some one of the theatres because that's the way I was thinking and seeing what had happened from my experience with the RSC and what they were doing. And I'm thinking we could do the same. So that's why you find that, uh, as I said, you're finding all the plays I'm always there at the beginning, finding a theatre, wanting to have a theatre, wanting even here. I even pushed so they could have more directors and they could have more people doing things. And did Temba achieve what you hoped it would? Yeah. Yes, yes, to a point, yes, to a point. But, you know, like everything else, it had to go. But it didn't go the way that I think it should have. In what way? I mean, you mean it didn't develop as you wanted or...? Yeah. Because, because of funding or what? Or lack of funding? Um, <laughs> yeah, well, no, I can't say lack of funding, it could be, but um, you can't direct, you can't direct, act, perform, and all in one. You've got to give somebody else a break. Right. <laughs> Who was in charge wanted to do everything and you couldn't have doing everything, wasn't going to give someone else a chance to look at. So right. I had to abandon. Right. And then, um, Mustafa, 1978, I think, you, as I said, you co-found Black Theatre yes, Cooperative. Yes, I did, yeah, with Charlie Hansen. Yeah. I went to New York, I did a play in New York, and I, I met the Negro Ensemble Company people there. And again, it struck me that we could do this in London. And so when I came back to London, we had a play that was meant to go on the road. It, the bookings were all messed up, um, and Charlie and I d decided to form the Black Theatre Cooperative. And the basic premise behind it was that actors would not just act, that they would be involved in the stage management and the choice of plays, and they would be involved in other aspects, publicity, all aspects of a production, so that it would train young actors the, the mechanics of theater besides just turning up at, on stage and performing. And that was a great motivation and we, we did a play called Another Tuesday, we toured with that, and we did Welcome Home Jacko, which was a bombshell because... Which we, is your play, yeah. That was my play. Yeah. And um, it was, it, it spoke to a young black audience about themselves, and uh, some nights we couldn't tell the difference between the performers on stage and the young guys from the audience. <laughs> um, and it, was, it had a wonderful energy about it um, that took us into other productions. I mean, obviously, <clears throat> the tendency, I suppose, is to, is to talk about the struggle, you know, to achieve status as an actor or writer. But I presume, I'm guessing, there must also have been a sense of, I don't know, um, happiness in, in the 70s. Was there a sense of things being possible in the 70s? 
a sense of... Yes, at the end of the 60s and the early 70s, there was a sense of doors opening, yeah. opportunities arriving. Um, the, the underground, the fringe, the alternative was gaining momentum and there was groups uh, springing up all over in little pubs and little halls and rooms and everything, everything. there was endless possibilities. And it was a very exciting time. And again, the, the unity, the sense of camaraderie, uh, groups would lend each other light in systems and, mm -hmm. and there was that help uh, operating the, a sort of underground theater, pop-up theater was, was happening. And it was wonderful. We weren't all looking to go on Broadway. We were just so happy performing and getting that buzz and that feedback from the audiences. It yeah. was very exciting. I remember London in the early 70s. I mean, every space was being colonised, wasn't it? You That's know, right. And as you rightly said, the lunchtime theatre, late-night theatre. Yes. Everyone seemed to be putting on a play somewhere or other. But I mean, there's one thing we haven't mentioned so far, and that's television. Um, because apart from working in the theatre, Oscar, you worked a lot in television mm -hmm. in the 70s. Okay. You did a soap, you did Emmerdale, Emmerdale Farm. <laughs> oh, God, that's a long time ago, yes. I know, it's a long time ago. Yeah. But again, again, it's like a pioneer again. I've broke, <laughs> broke up on new things. Yeah. Yes. I mean, what was it like being in a soap in the 1970s for you? I was earning money. <laughs> I'm going to pay rent. That's all I wanted to do was to pay my rent. I couldn't... Um, it, it was fine. I was just... I was in the crowd, just walking around, and then I got a couple of lines, I worked my way up. And, no, it was good, it was a good journey, and the people that I met were wonderful. I had a wonderful time. Right. And, uh, but what were you in Emmerdale? I, <laughs> God, it's such a long time. I was a school teacher who I taught Seth. Seth? I was teaching Seth, one of the characters, to read or something like that. I can't, oh, oh. I can't remember. It was so long ago. Um, no, I... Was it, was it simply for you a means to pay the rent? I mean, it wasn't that the artistic opportunities were great, it was just a good way of earning money, is that...? Is yes. That, yeah? Yes, I had to, whatever way I could get it, I couldn't do anything else. Um, and I was there in the way, they wanted a black face, so I was there. And I worked hard, and I listened, and I, I did well. Did you keep your other careers as a singer and a comedian, stand-up comedian, still going at that time? It's always there with me. It's always there. At a drop of a hat. Really? E oh, e yes. Even now, if we... Even now. <laughs> if, if, if we asked you to... <laughs> <laughs> even now. Oh, and you're coming to that. That's good. <laughs> I'm very tempted just to ask you to do it. But I, I, I and you had another big job, another you know, job that you were doing as well as acting. You were driving, right? I was a licensed cab driver, a black licensed cab driver, because when I go for a taxi, they wouldn't pick me up. So I decided, OK, I'll become a black cab driver. <laughs> but I didn't want to drive a black cab. I wanted to drive a white cab. <laughs> <laughs> that, was my, that was my thing at then. But no, I, yes, I was a cab driver. I was a stand-up comic. I had to do everything. So you, yeah, you, you kept these multiple careers going all the time, which is yes. wonderful. Well, I had, to, I had to survive. I couldn't do anything else. I had to survive. And it was, if you notice, a stand-up comedian was always in show business. Always in show business. Yes. I grew up in show business. It was part of my life. Yeah. So if you ask me anything, I wouldn't know. Um, no, it, I had a good time. And I bluffed. You bluffed. I did very, very well bluffing. <laughs> I remember when they called me up, when, 
when they were doing the, they had the audition for the Royal Shakespeare Company. Um, uh, what's his name now? Uh, who was directing? Uh, uh, Dr. Trevor Nunn? No, 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 no. no. I, I get to, uh, it was a doctor. Um, well Miller. Known, John, John, John Miller. Miller. Oh, yes, yeah, yes. They, they were directing Ben Benito Serrano, and I saw him, and, oh, yes. and, and he was doing that, and I thought, wait, hang on a second, I must know this guy. He was maybe smoked or something, wearing all the corduroy things. And the, the words were, at that time, uh, was baby. You call everybody baby. Yeah. And I didn't know who this man was. I knew nothing about him. Right. So I saw him directing, and I, I went up to him and said, hi, babe. <laughs> um, to Jonathan Miller. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I understand they want some black people for the Royal Shakespeare Company. <laughs> Could you help me? And he went, um, yes, what do, you want to, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to get in. He said, what play do you know? And I didn't know any play. And I, I heard somebody saying King Lear. And I said, King Lear? And he said, do you know it? And I said, no. He said, well, go and learn it. So I went and I learned a bit and I came back. And I got in there. Um, and he let me go. And they had the, the audition of the Royal Shakespeare Company to, to get in. Um, and when I go, all the other actors, black actors were doing Othello, The Merchant of Venice, and, and, and that. And then they called all of them and they said, Oscar James, what are you going to do? And I said, King Lear, and the place went quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. And I started doing all my speech. And they said, OK, fine. But they only put me down for the 45th citizen. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I did it. You progressed. <laughs> yes. And I, so I ended up playing Telesophidia, so that was good. That was my claim to fame. Mustafa, I mean, Oscar's obviously talked about multiple strands to his career, you know, different strands of performing. It's different for a writer, isn't it? I mean, how does a writer survive, apart well, from plays? Did, did with great difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> um, you just hustle and you, you hope that what you produce is producible. Um, and there's an element of luck and chance in the theater. I think that's why we like it so much. Um, you never know what the next day might bring. But I was lucky in as much as I, I sort of began mainstream theater life at the Royal Court, and in charge was Oscar Lewinstein, who was a very international-minded uh, producer, and he encouraged a lot of black plays. He brought in a lot of black uh, writers and, and, and black plays into the Royal Court. So you felt you had a sort of patron or enthusiast yes, for your work? Yes, yes. He was a great supporter of... Uh, uh, non-English, non-European theatre. And that was a blessing uh, because uh, not only by myself, uh, but a lot of other black writers got uh, their chance at the Royal Court through Oscar Lewinstein. I don't think he got the, the, the praise and the respect that he deserved, but that's show business, as they say. You, I mean, you, you came to London um, at different times, 56, 1961, you formed these companies, as we've said, you know, in the 70s. I mean, you were both, are both, have been both pioneers. I wonder, do you look at the younger generation, today's generation of black artists with a certain an envy? Because life is not easy, but it is easier, I assume, is it not? I mean, do, do you think, you know, they, they are the lucky beneficiaries of your pioneering generation? Yes, I agree. And it's very heartening. I did a workshop recently with some young black actors, 
and they are so hot. They have so much energy, and they, they don't see any obstacles. They're just cutting through the butter, and it's, it's very heartening. They don't have any other hang-ups and, and the political feedback to deal with. Maybe later in life they will have it. Um, but they are so enthusiastic and innovative and hungry. And it's wonderful to see and listen to them talking and planning their next move and their jobs. And they're on two mobiles and they're, <laughs> they're busy, busy yes. networking. Yeah. Wonderful. Oscar, do you feel the same way? Well, when I speak to the younger ones, it doesn't... What are you saying? Yes, I agree. And I, I wondered if we had the same thing among ourselves doing it. But I can't... The changes that I've seen, I don't think it's that much, except, all right, yes, you have now, you have a black person playing Othello, and you have the others who are getting a little bit more chances than we had because we couldn't even get it. Mm -hmm. um, yes, but when I listen to them, the jobs for them is still few and far between. Mm -hmm. When I look around, or even when I look at the stage management, I look to see how many black persons there are around, and it's not many. Please forgive me, but that's the way I feel, and that's right. the way I am, and I right. look at the way to see what the youngsters are doing and which way they're going. Yes, it might be, might be I suppose, might be, I think it's about the same. Because when I listen to them and I hear them speaking and I ask them questions, a lot of them are still, it's very difficult for them to get parts on to do things. That's it. So you're saying there has been no radical change? <coughs> yeah. It's I, still difficult, you're saying? Yeah, it's still, they give one or two a little break and everybody start to think it's happening. <laughs> Mm -hmm. They give one or two a break and everybody jumping, thinking it's happening, but it's not. Um, I, again, I can, I'll call a couple of plays that I think was ec and it's good, it's good. The youngsters I'm seeing now, they're very good. Like Adrian Lester doing that thing at the tricycle and yeah. others, I can see them Let, getting Lenny parts. Henry in the West End. Yes, I, I see that, these little things. But every so often they get a little bite and then they leave you for a while. You know, yes. every 10 years they get one. Every 10 years they get one. That's I had it, and it was, I, I know that jump. So there's no consistency or no follow-through, you mean? That's, that's, I mean, that's a very um, worrying comment. You're saying, since, you're since you've started, no real radical breakthrough. No. no. no that's the way I see it at the moment. Right. Point to me, I mean, what, what do you think it would take for that radical breakthrough to occur? A change in society, a change in, I don't know, political attitudes or what? I mean, what, what, what would achieve that breakthrough you're after? Most of our help. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if there's a, a smoking gun out there. Um, hallelujah, the Trump, the heavens will open and the stage will all be filled with black actors and black players. I don't think it's going to happen like that. I think it's going to happen gradually as the English integrates yes. uh, people. Um, they're not going to say you've made it. No one's going to say that. It's just going to happen gradually and hopefully successfully. That's all I can say. I've got to punch this debate. It's going to go on all week, actually. I mean, I think this is one of the key issues to be discussed um, throughout the rest of these sessions, uh, which are going to go on um, till the end of the week, till Sunday, I think. And on the back of your hymn sheet, I think there's a list of forthcoming events. So could I urge you to keep coming to all the uh, subsequent events, because it's going to be a fascinating week. Could I also thank Oscar and Mustafa for talking so brilliantly about their Red Experience. Thank you. thank you both very much indeed. My thank pleasure. You. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I'd like to thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Thank you.
What a Thank you very much. Thank you.